This is episode 261 of the AWS podcast, released on September 2nd, 2018. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lisher here with you. Great to have you back. And I have a special guest, uh, a returning guest. I'm joined by Ian Perez-Prontz, who is a senior uh, business development manager in our storage space and knows a lot about all things storage. Welcome, Ian. Hey, Simon. Thanks. Uh, glad to be back. Good to have you back. Now, we are talking about the inevitable nexus between compute and storage. Uh, we're going to talk about a, a new capability of the Snowball Edge, which is the ability to run EC2 compute instances on the Snowball Edge. So maybe let's just refresh our memories of what is the Snowball Edge, and then we'll get into the EC2 part. So Ian, what's the Snowball Edge? <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see. Going back to, I think, the last session we recorded in February, we, we provided a, an overview of Snowball Edge as really a, a hybrid platform. Um, first and foremost, it's it's a hardware appliance that is uh, meant to transfer data back to AWS. So it's kind of a, a continuation of, of the service evolution that we started in 2015 with the regular Snowball. Uh, Snowball Edge, we saw a couple upgrades, a couple updates in terms of capacity from 80 terabytes to 100 terabytes. Uh, we saw a bump in networking capabilities to include uh, not only 10 gig Ethernet, but 25 and 40 gig Ethernet. Um, and then more interesting, we added compute capabilities. So in addition to just um, providing raw storage capacity, we added the ability to run uh, during the initial release uh, Lambda functions uh, by way of Greengrass on the device. So that was kind of uh, the foray into edge compute, if you will. Again, customers had um, have the choice of whether they uh, wanted to use the device just for data transfer or for compute or both. Um, and so that's from a uh, speeds and feeds perspective and form factor um, point of view, everything's pretty much the same, uh, albeit with a few um, a few minor exceptions, and I'll call those out as, as we go on. For sure, a few, a few little tweaks. So yeah, this, the Snowball Edge, like the Snowball, is a, it's ruggedized, it's rack-mountable, it's shippable. Uh, I've even seen video of it, and I think we'll link it in the show notes, of, of it being placed very close to uh, exploding explosives. Uh, to do its uh, military strength test. So it's, it's a pretty tough device, isn't it? Yeah, and, and actually, you bring up a good point. I mean, so um, definitely a, a fully ruggedized device, tamper-proof. Um, but I think the, the, the reason I think it's an interesting point you bring up is that while we do see many customers deploying snowball edges as well as regular snowballs in conventional data centers, as that just happens to be where they're extracting a lot of the data for migration to AWS. Um, there are just as many use cases or deployment scenarios where we see uh, Snowball Edge effectively being deployed in non-conventional type of environments where pr that ruggedness and um, kind of overall durability is very much uh, a, a nice to have, if not a need to have. Yeah, I think uh, you know that that non-data center environment, when it extends to lots of sand and explosives, <laughs> is, is a bit of a different uh, different computing uh, location. But hey, that's where the data is, so got to take it. Got to take it. To that's where right. The data is. That's right. Yeah. No, it's it's actually um, you know one of the as, as we kind of peel back the covers on you know what is edge computing and what are some of the characteristics of of true edge computing environments. Edge can be a bit of a of a, a gray term. 
I would go as far as saying is that, uh, you know, the, the common characteristics are a, you're dealing with very decentralized topologies. So think of, you know, distributed computing from a physical perspective, geo, uh, geo dispersed locations. And yet the data is actually being generated across all those locations. So that be, presents some interesting problems slash challenges to solve in terms of how do you acquire that data if, uh, if efficiently as well as cost effectively. And then how can you process that data? And that's kind of a, Good, uh, exactly. good segue, I guess, into um, the Snowball Edge uh, and EC2 launch that we uh, exactly. So we so we had obviously the Snowball Edge, which had Lambda support. So now we have EC2 support. So firstly, what is the EC2 support and why? So um, let me kind of address the why first. Uh, having a front row seat in in terms of customer adoption and kind of the the evolving thought process that. Uh, that I'm, we're seeing in terms of what use cases does this solve. With Lambda uh, and Greengrass on Snowball Edge, um, I think um, a lot of customers were, were certainly interested in trying to figure out where does the whole serverless application footprint come into, into the fold as far as edge computing use cases? And there's been a, a bit of a, I would say, learning curve there in terms of taking either existing workloads or maybe it's just a net new workload, but kind of the, the existing skill set has not necessarily been you know, f- at full parity with the, the whole serverless movement, which, uh, as we know, you know, Lambda Lambda is kind of predicated on this, you know, serverless application uh, notion. And so really providing EC2 capability and, and specifically the SBE1 uh, EC2 instances that we launched support for on Snowball Edge was, was kind of a... Um, an augmentation into into what we're what AWS is providing in in the edge uh, compute realm, and so if, if you have perhaps the tribe that is perfectly comfortable developing and running applications in uh, a true serverless um, environment, and then for those that are running more classic workloads, uh, be they you know uh, Linux uh, uh, based uh, workloads or or Wintel based workloads, they now have that flexibility to simply encapsulate uh, that workload in an AMI image, just like they would with regular EC2, but instead of running it at uh, uh, some Pre, uh, prescribed AWS region, they're basically running it on Snowball Edge as, as an endpoint. And that's really, I think, the thing is that it, it bridges that knowledge level. So, you know, if, you, if you're building something net new and you're comfortable with building things in serverless, then Lambda on the Snowball Edge is probably a no-brainer. But if you may have uh, existing software, you may have existing investment in, in logic that's built into a, a, an existing server instance, you might not want to have to retool. You might just want to deploy. And this gives you that option, doesn't it? Precisely. Right. And I, I think we kind of see the same decision making taking place at a, you know, at a primary uh, AWS region to the extent that uh, folks are looking at the, how their architecture um, you know, evolves uh, within AWS. And, and so this is just kind of a context switch in terms of location. But um, the good news is, is that you don't have to choose necessarily one or the other, right? They, coexistence is is encouraged and certainly you know feasible from a support perspective uh, obviously in AWS proper but also on snowball edge so uh, you can have a snowball edge that runs uh, EC2 instances and at the same time it can still be providing that native S3 endpoint for storage and it can also still be providing the ability to invoke lambda functions um, by having green grass enabled as well 
Mm. So you're not choosing one over the other. Now, you mentioned the SBE1 instance type. Tell us about that. What's What's its capacity in terms of CPU and memory? What, what should I be building? Yeah. So um, basically, uh, the SBE1 nomenclature is something that is uh, very much specific to to uh, Snowball Edge. So it's just, uh, you know, if, if you're looking at the regular list, long list of EC2 um uh, instance families, uh, you won't find SBE one there. It is it is uh, very much pertinent to to snow, uh, Snowball Edge, and basically, if you look at the overall uh, CPU memory footprint for Snowball Edge, what we're making available for customer workloads is sixteen uh, vCPU and up to thirty two gigs of memory. Uh, bearing in mind that outside of that, there are some reservations that we hold within the device to run. Uh, you know, backplane processes, as well as uh, if you're running, for instance, green grass, or if you're ru- running um, the file interface for NFS access, each one of those functions consumes a little bit of CPU and memory. So just bear that in mind. Uh, as far as the envelope uh, for different SBE1 instances, we have six different instances that are supported all the way from SBE1 small, which is one vCPU and one gig of memory, all the way up to SBE1 for X large, which is the full uh, max, if you will, of, of total CPU and memory, 16 and, and 32, respectively. Uh, and then from a storage perspective, I'll just quickly cover off. So we, we have the ability to um, to provision up to one terabyte of, uh, of storage capacity for, uh, for an actual SBE1 instance volume. Uh, how you carve that up amongst and number of SBE one instances is entirely your choice, but that one terabyte is the cap. So that that's um, going back to uh, I alluded to the fact that I would kind of cover one of the the major or minor uh, differences, if you will, in terms of the the um, Snowball Edge that's supporting uh, EC two instances being able to um, go up to one terabyte was a result of of uh, some upgrades in storage capacity. That's really really useful. Now, it's it's also I think it's, I should point out it's not just one instance. Uh, or one instance of an instance is that does that make sense? I don't know. <laughs> uh, running on the snowball, you can you can run multiple depending on the capacity and the instance types that you're choosing, can't you? Sure. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And so again, I mean, you know, I think we're we're still in the early stages of of understanding, you know, what are going to be some of the more computational intensive workloads that will be running at the edge that could easily consume, you know, sixteen vCPU, thirty two gigs of memory, if not. You know, four, five, six times that, depending again on on the uh, application architecture. I think as we see this whole ML slash inference on edge manifesting as as kind of a, a real world uh, slash inter- interesting problem to solve, we start looking at perhaps you know maybe a single snowball edge is not uh, sufficient, and so that's where clustering multiple snowball edges uh, from five to ten nodes um, helps customer scale and and solve some of those uh, more robust workloads again that, that that would go beyond the you know the single limitations of a single SBE one instance. Exactly, and you could you know put ten of those together, and you've got a, a petabyte of storage and a fair bit of compute, which is pretty powerful. So, Ian, what are we seeing customers use this for? Like, what's the Give us an idea of, I guess, some of those target workloads. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's pretty interesting. Uh, you know, I I, I think um, it, it's been hard for us to point our finger at one or two specific use cases and say, aha, this is the sweet spot. We're really just seeing a broad array of use cases come to fruition across a number of uh, verticals and industries. And so maybe I'll just kind of highlight a few of those sure. um, that... Uh, 
solidify, I guess, you know, what the art of the possible is here. One is in transportation for automotive. Um, so I, I don't think, you know, the, the notion of, of data slash computational intensive workloads is, is, um, you know, foreign when you're looking at some of these advanced driver application systems that are being developed in the spirit of, you know, autonomous vehicles. And if you think about uh, how the players in the space are scaling their R&D fleets across many, many metropolitan regions, you kind of start to, you know, the numbers start to add up in terms of, okay, if I'm collecting five, you know, to 10 terabytes per trip, and I have this many vehicles, you're talking about petabytes of data very quickly on a monthly basis, in some cases on a weekly basis. And so the question is, how can you synthesize those data sets from, from, uh, an operational R&D fleet to not only be able to collect that data in, in, in its raw format, but be able to actually produce some actionable insights from that data close to where that fleet is, right? Uh, so, so that incurring that round trip time to send the data all the way back to the cloud, do some MLDL processing, machine learning, deep learning processing, and then, you know, bring the value, the, the, the uh, resulting value of that data back is not uh, something that um, operators have to incur. And so this is, you know, and, and it's not to imply that operators will be deploying a single snowball edge or a cluster of snowball edges within a vehicle. Uh, obviously, that kind of pushes the bounds in terms of, you know, power and and, uh, and space. Um, but certainly, you can envision where a maintenance facility, call it a smart garage type of environment, could certainly house snowball edge clusters or even single snowball edge devices and uh, be able to kind of cope with, you know, the amount of data that's that's coming in as well as be be able to process some of that data. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's interesting talking about vehicles. One of the other the modalities that that I've I've seen is is really interesting is is placing these devices on ships and, and particularly around around research and defense. Uh, we sort of don't think of ships as being compute locations, but but they increasingly are. Yeah, no, it, and uh, it, you bring up a good point. I mean, we've seen it both on the um, on the defense side, and even you know from a commercial perspective, cruise line operators, for instance, that they're already dealing with very constrained network throughput. Right, we satellite links are not necessarily the the most performant, and certainly not not the the, the most inexpensive. The ships themselves, you know. Floor spaces at a premium, right? That's uh, the floor spaces intended to to suit the customers, not necessarily operations. And so, we're starting to see where Snowball Edge becomes a viable form factor for for powering both existing applications as well as net new applications in in either context on the commercial uh, side or you know on on the defense side. One of the things, by the way, that that tends to surface as a buzz term, and I'll just kind of hit on it a little bit, is the notion of, of the digital twin concept. You can develop and deploy your applications in the cloud and then basically create if you a golden image, if you will, that you can then push out to the edges vis-a-vis something like Snowball Edge. Um, and that that in and of itself provides some value. I think a lot of, there's there's a, a growing number of um, uh, you know customers slash operators out there that have bought into this code once deploy anywhere type of philosophy. And so to the extent that developers can just stamp out applications using a, 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 a very you know prescribed formula and be able to kind of deploy that, you know, whether it's at AWS core or at some remote uh, location that makes up the edge, that's all goodness in their minds. And so um, Snowball Edge is, you know, really a key enabler for that. That's a really important point. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think we should talk about the developer and operator experience here. So from a developer perspective, 
I'm not ordering a snowball edge to sit next to my desk and I'm trying to get AMIs to work on it, am I? I'm actually developing in AWS. I think the C5 instance is the one we recommend for people to to develop on before I deploy. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. So we, we encourage C5 compatibility. And you're right. I mean, so, you know, at the end of the day, we would still be advocates for some proof of concept that would certainly involve, you know, developer experience if, if you're looking to uh, put Snowball Edge or, or many of them into production. But but yeah, I would say, you know, I think the point you were making is that the 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 core of that development effort uh, and expertise really happens is, is all geared towards what's happening uh, within a primary AWS environment, right? Uh, at some um, some region, one of our regions, if you will. And then um, you, you kind of rely on the fact that that can then be easily extended to a Snowball Edge because we have that EC2 and S3 compatibility as well as, uh, as, well as uh, NFS and Greengrass Lambda, which we spoke about. And so basically when I am uh, satisfied that my AMI is in a, in a good place, uh, I can then order my Snowball Edge and as part of that ordering process, I specify the AMI and then that comes on it. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So just to, to kind of walk through the, the workflow a little bit, um, you know, we, we think of snowballs in terms of jobs. So when um, when you go into the snowball management console, you basically select the job type um, as you go, let's say, through an import um uh, an S3 import job type, you're given the option then to select a specific AMI image. And so, uh, again, we would encourage, you know, C5 compatible AMI image that's pre-selected. That AMI will effectively get provisioned uh, on the device uh, as it goes through the provisioning workflow. There are a couple prerequisite steps that we recommend, such as setting uh, the actual SSH keys so that, you know, you still want to have access to, to um the EC2 instance or instances that are running on the Snowball Edge. And so having your SSH credentials is uh, is something that we highly recommend that you do as, as a prerequisite step. Once uh, once we fully provision the device and ship that to you, it's a pretty uh, straightforward, uh, you know, power on um, procedure, provide the networking connectivity. Uh, at that point, you're issuing standard EC2 commands, uh, CLI commands to basically start, stop, reboot your instances. And again, using SSH to access those instances. Um, so you, uh, you know, there's no, um, there's no dependency or reliance, if you will, on the actual Snowball Management Console or AWS Management Console in general. Uh, we assume that uh, the operational environment will have either intermittent or perhaps no connectivity between wherever the Snowball Edge is deployed and uh, uh, and uh, the actual you know primary count. Um, and so you can think of it as a self-contained operating environment for EC2 as well as S3, right? Uh, and now if you have if you happen to have uh, internet connectivity or intermittent connectivity, then there's some interesting things you can do in terms of remote updates uh, to make sure that. Um, you know, you are propagating kind of the latest uh, and greatest from your primary account to a snowball edge. Yeah, for sure. And and th- those updates are important. And, uh, but like you said, you know, often these devices will be, you know, out on a ship for months at a time, uh, not connected to anything. <laughs> so, so in that sense, they're actually quite secure from uh, vulnerabilities because uh, you can't connect to it. <laughs> yeah, no. And uh, and quite frankly, uh, the, the way to factor in updates if you will is just fig- is uh, counting on some uh, some rotation physical rotation scheme right so whenever that ship pulls into dock uh, they would have a number of snow- new snowball edge devices waiting for them and they can either be you know assimilated into an existing cluster or uh, redeployed standalone whatever the the use case dictates 
And let's let's talk a little bit about security. So everything on the Snowball Edge is encrypted, isn't it? So so it's not just the data; it's also the AMI as well. That's correct. Yeah, I mean, so we um, everything is uh, basically backed through uh, KMS keys uh, in terms of. Um, you know, ensuring that uh, all data is encrypted on the device. One of the things I'll call out, I guess, uh, that may not be so obvious is, you know, whenever a customer shuts down that Snowball Edge device and returns it to us, we will do an import of any data that was actually uploaded to the S3 uh, portion of the device. But as far as the the EC2 instances and any data that's kind of captive to the boot volumes, all that gets completely wiped. Uh, and so we use a you know standard NIST uh, compliant wipe, secure wipe process. So there is no notion, if you will, of data erroneously or EC2 instances erroneously being imported into your um, into your VPC environment. If you kind of rewind a little bit before even before the snowball edge, let's say, gets to um, you know, it's its original region of ingest, uh, there's really no way that uh, that somebody can access those EC2 instances nor the S3 storage, um, you know, from a rogue perspective, considering that they would need to have access to what we call the uh, unlock code and manifest file. And those are two items that, if you will, they're, they're uh, exclusive to whoever requested the, the actual snowball in the first place. So there's, there's pretty rigid controls, I would say, that kind of safe, provide the, the safeguarding of both data, whether that data sits in S3 or whether it's captive to the, um, the EC2 instances on the device. Uh, and that's something we'll just you know, continue to improve upon, if you will, just you know, treating security as, as paramount as we Exactly, it is, it is super important. That's why there, are, you know, things like a, a trusted platform module or TPM that's built in specifically to to monitor what's going on on the device, end to end tracking, so you can see where things are. As you mentioned, all, all the encryption. It's it's it is a real uh, a real focus area. The device itself, though, is actually for for something that packs in so much, it's actually not that heavy. It, it actually weighs uh, less than fifty pounds, or for people like me who don't understand pounds, uh, twenty two odd kilos. Uh, so one person can lift it and move it around pretty easily. So you can kind of assemble a cluster of these things without needing, you know, forklifts and stuff like that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, we, we intentionally try to keep it under the the 50 pound uh, minimum, 22 kilos, as, as you called out. Um, and that was just really just for operational efficiency, right? We wanted to make sure that one able person could uh, could certainly manhandle the device uh, for, for transport. No added weight, uh, really, or at least not n- nothing significant was added in, in as part of the, the latest uh, announcement for SBE one instances, that's really exciting. And just back to the uh, uh, military testing that I mentioned, just to clarify what I was talking about, it's the MIL S nine hundred one D specification, which is for high impact mechanical shock applied to equipment mounted on ships, uh, which is a fancy way of saying they blow stuff up next to a barge and see what happens to the snowball edge. So uh, it passed that, which was good. Um, so. I'll- I'll definitely link into the show notes because it was a pretty spectacular test. That yeah, we, we've we've uh, conducted some some pretty wild uh, test uh, drop tests from you know all sides of the device of uh, multiple stories. There's there's that test that you're referring to. You know, mind you, all of, all of these tests have been in a non operational mode. I don't think anybody would actually want you know I/O running through the device and kick it off. Uh, but um, but yeah, no, I I I would say you can imagine. The beating these devices take, if, if for no other reason, just shipping them. I think we're hundreds of times around the world at this point in terms of, you know, aggregate uh, miles accrued. And so they, they take a beating. And uh, I think um, we've, we've done remarkably well, I think, on the durability side of, of uh, the physical aspects of the device. 
Yeah, and speaking of the long-term nature, so it's interesting. I think if, if people are familiar with the sort of use of the Adibis Snowball for uh, migration of data, they're probably more used to the, you know, I, I pay the price for the Snowball, it gets sent to me, I keep it for X number of days and I, I pay uh, for any extra days I might want to keep it and then I return it. Uh, this is a different model because obviously I, I want to keep these snowball edges for potentially a long period of time. So we allow customers to have both uh, the on-demand fee, but also they could do a, a one-year or three-year commitment, can't they? Correct. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think there 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 was uh, some obvious awareness that uh, as customers start deploying the device more for let's just call it ephemeral compute, the usual uh, lease times, if you will, of just you know a few weeks or a few days was wasn't uh, um, good enough, and so we introduced one and three-year uh, volume pricing. And so that is a way to offset the daily accrual fees. Uh, One other thing I would call out is that that also um, does not factor in any uh, significant data ingest or um, data coming back to AWS. So there are, I guess, just in terms of you know, commercial uh, arrangements. There, there certainly are use cases where customers are looking for mid to long term term deployment of Snowball Edge for compute. They may also be committing to um, certain volume term uh, term uh, lengths for uh, actual storage consumption, be it on S three and Glacier. And so that kind of takes takes them down the path of looking at really you know multiple pricing discounts, one for Snowball Edge and then one for the actual uh, storage component on S three and Glacier, as an example. Yeah, exactly. It's a, that classic thing of you, you pay for, pay as you go, pay for what you use. And if you are operating at scale or at volume, then you get discounts accordingly as well. So uh, the, the more you use, the less you pay on a per unit basis, which kind of makes That's sense. Right. Excellent. Well, Ian, thanks so much for coming on and, and demystifying the newness of uh, the EC2 compute instances on uh, AWS Noble Edge. Happy to, Simon. Thanks again for having me. And uh, I would say, you know, um, nothing's uh, stopping folks from uh, giving it a test run for themselves. So uh, we encourage you to sign up, go to the Snowball Management Console and order Snowball Edge today. Fantastic. Thanks very much. And thanks again for listening. We do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to send it. And until next time, keep on building.